Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring the Dono and Frito Show. Hello, and welcome into another episode of the Dono and Frito Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Alex Dono alongside Josh Friedman and Frito. It's been uh, it's been a busy week since we last spoke on this program, and a big topic on our show a week ago were were the uh, the pretty disgusting comments made by former Miami Heat player, I'm happy to be able to put the word former in there now, Myers Leonard, and the Heat have found a way to unload him in a trade. And I look at this one, and I think this is not only addition by addition, but it's addition by subtraction. So the Heat bring in Trevor Ariza from the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, listen, not the Trevor Ariza he was a few years ago. He's 35 years old. He's past his prime, it's fair to say that. But the guy can still defend multiple positions on the wing, and he can still hit big three-point shots. And all the Heat had to send to OKC to get Trevor Ariza was the bigot who wasn't even playing for the team anymore because he was not only injured and basically suspended indefinitely uh, in Myers Leonard, but they also send a 2027 second-round pick. I don't know how much they're going to miss that. Uh, and they get Trevor Ariza in return. So, listen, I, uh, I I wish it hadn't taken this long to get Myers Leonard off the team, but they're able to turn him into something, Frito. Well, first of all, as you were talking, I was thinking about that draft pick. And if he comes out after his first year of college, he's in, like, seventh grade right now. He is, yeah, yeah. seventh so grade. The fact that, you know, I, mean, I don't know if it took a while. I mean, Trevor, you know, after a while, Myers Leonard was – he was radioactive. Yep. You know, and – and, yeah, I'm sure the Heat called around. I don't know how many teams were calling for Myers Leonard. Um, you know, you've got to explain to your fan base now why you're bringing this guy aboard. I don't know what the, you know, the, the Jewish population is in, the, in Oklahoma City. But um, still, it's, it's, it's a touchy thing. You know, do, now you've got to explain to your reporters why, and your fans why we brought this guy aboard. So the fact that they got something, a player that can contribute, they're certainly not going to miss his draft pick. I mean, that's – it's seven years down the road. I'm not sure I've, I've ever in my life heard of a, a pick so far down the road than this. I think the Heat did, did great. I think they did, you know, even if they get a, a small contribution, you got rid of a problem that, you know, the, the second he said those words and, and, the, and the K word to describe Jews, even though he claims he didn't know what it meant, you know, okay, uh, that's, you, that's, even, that's a terrible excuse. Like that, that, that's not the type of word you would ever say if you didn't it, know what it meant. Even if he didn't know what it meant, he knew it was something. He knew it was yes. something bad the way he yes. used it. He knew that it was a toxic word. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to let my dog out while I talk. So the fact that they got something for him, um, I think was a great job by, by Pat Riley. I think he did a terrific job. You know, the, the unfortunate part of this deal is somewhere in, in a gym in, in South Florida, there's a seventh grader shooting hoops who's saying, God, I better make sure I'm good enough to be a first round pick in 2027. Because <laughs> if, if I'm only good enough to be a second round pick, I know where I'm not going. And that's the Miami Heat. So I, I better work on my jumper to make sure that I'm a first round pick. So I have a shot to wind up in Miami because if I'm a second round pick, I'm going somewhere else. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I, I, with what I said, are you impressed with the trade that they, you know, if they gotten anything, I think that would have been impressive by, by the heat and just, you know, adding now to what has been such a, you know, impressive comeback. I mean, or they were 10 and 11 to start the season and then look how hot they, they you know, they, they've been. 
Yeah, at their at their worst, um, they were seven games under five hundred. Oh, so, okay, uh, seven games under. I'm sorry. Yeah, but but now, um, you know, they, seventeen they, maybe. They, they they did lose last night to the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, but you know, I, I can't uh, I can't complain too much because they've won now eleven of their past thirteen games. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna nitpick one loss with the tear that they've been on. So they're uh, they're three games over. 500 at this point after you know less than uh, less than a month and a half ago being seven games under 500 so I will take that turnaround and no and another reason why this was such a good deal and I'm not saying Trevor Ariza is going to be the type of player that tips the scales between championship or no championship no it's just he's not that much of a difference maker I'm not going to pretend he is but with, with the terror that the Heat have been on, you know, since uh, since mid-February with this amazing run that they've been on, something that became apparent was, yes, this team could still be improved because I, you know, I don't consider them a real championship contender. So you can still, of course, improve this team. But you also need to be very careful the way that you improve this team because, you know, with the trade deadline is coming up uh, March 25th, I believe. So we're a week away from it at the time that we speak here. Um, you know, the trade deadline is coming up and I don't think the Heat are done. Like, I think the Heat may end up making another move or two before the deadline. But with so many of your of your players now proving that they can be contributors for an important playoff run and you, you know, teams can sometimes overpay for good players at the trade deadline. You need to make sure, you know, that you're not, uh, you know, giving up important pieces to bring an important piece back. So I, I thought that that was the stroke of brilliance of the Ariza move because the Heat gave up nothing. Like the Heat gave up nothing that was contributing this year. Like they, did, they didn't oh, give it, up, you know. He, you, you didn't, he was out for the season. Yeah, like you, you didn't give up a rotational player. Like you didn't give up like, a, you know, a, a Kendrick Nunn type who could help this team or, you know, a, a Precious Achua or a KZ Akpala who could be important pieces for the future. Yeah, I mean, you, you gave up a guy who was never going to play basketball for you again anyway. Uh, and yeah, there, there might be a bigger deal to be had before the deadline. Like we certainly, you know, we watch what might happen with LaMarcus Aldridge. You might, you know, you might put up a package together to acquire him or maybe he gets bought out and you can acquire him without giving up assets. You would just have to maybe cut somebody. So yeah, I, I think the heat may not be done here. Frito making moves, but I think what the Trevor Ariza deal taught us is they're going to try and make additions without making important subtractions. Like they're, they're not going to, to sell the farm to buy another farm like they're going to try and add to their stock not subtract to add well I, you know they you can't trade first round picks in consecutive seasons so that i think is out they're gonna have to give up something if they want something i don't know you know if it be kelly olenic or something somebody else i don't know they're gonna have to give up some asset that that they feel you know the one coming back will improve them and now you know marcus aldridge i always smile i think it was back in what 2000 15. 15. They took a meeting with Aldridge, I think on Long Island or the Hamptons somewhere, knowing full well they didn't have the money to sign him. Not they didn't mind all. I mean, they couldn't come close to what teams were going to offer him, and yet he still took the meeting. I, I was so impressed with that. I mean, he just wanted to meet with them, and and you know, so I think they flew up there and they met. But you know, to add him, you know, it looks like he and San Antonio are going to come to a you know, a, a buyout. He might be, whoops, I'm sorry. I got to let the dog back in. Uh, no worries. So, and, you know, they, yeah, I never put anything past Pat Riley. Do I think a blockbuster's coming? No, but something to improve the team? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all because he, he's a very aggressive deal maker. Yeah, he, he really is. And, and you know, when you think about what the Heat currently have, um, 
man, Jimmy Butler has, he has been playing up to, I'm not saying he's going to win it because, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think there's any way he gets the love from voters, but Jimmy Butler has been playing in an all-star form in recent weeks. You know, there, there's a big viral campaign started locally. Fans now refer to Jimmy Butler as Jim VP, right? Uh, I actually think he probably has maybe a semi-legitimate chance of winning defensive player of the year. He's actually got more steals than personal fouls committed this year which is pretty incredible. I'm not sure what the number would be after yesterday's game, but coming into last night's game against the Grizzlies, Jimmy had 56 steals leading the NBA to just 33 personal fouls committed. That's incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like a two to one ratio of steals to personal fouls committed. It's crazy. And, and he's been playing up to, you know, an MVP standard. So, it, you know, it's, it, I, I guess it's, it's a little bit unfortunate knowing that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't really handicap the Heat being that close to winning a title this year. I think it would be the Lakers title to lose. And then even in the East, the Brooklyn Nets, I think, are going to be very dangerous. And, and Milwaukee and Philadelphia are going to be contenders as well. So it'd be really tough to win a championship. But um, I, I said this uh, a few days ago, Frito, and I stand by it. The basketball that Jimmy Butler is playing outside of LeBron James, because that's so obvious, I haven't seen anyone play basketball this good in a heat uniform since let's say 2009 Dwayne Wade before LeBron arrived, right? I, I think Jimmy Butler is playing the high outside of LeBron James. Jimmy Butler is playing the highest level of basketball in a heat uniform since Dwayne Wade pre LeBron. He's been that good. Yeah, technically Butler was a sign and trade. Was he not same as LeBron, right? Yes. But, but for all intents and purposes, he was a free agent. Yeah. All right. Let's just go. Yeah. Is he the best free agent signing in South Florida history? Well, LeBron would be. LeBron yeah, would be. LeBron. I was going to say, oh, okay. wait, wait, other wait, than LeBron, be... yeah. other than LeBron, is he the best one in all sports? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously some people would argue Chris Bosh, but uh, you know, it's like right, I think I think Jimmy. To be fair to Jimmy, I think he's playing. He is he is more valuable, I think, to this Heat team than even Chris Bosh was. Uh, and obviously it was a loaded thing because Bosh also played with Wade and LeBron because it was harder to judge. Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly at this point, uh, I would not say, uh, although he's been playing better lately, Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, unfortunately is, uh, he's still, he's still gotta, he's gotta do something in the playoffs before you're gonna bring that up for him. But yeah, I think that's a really good shout out, Frito, because, you know, I know that the Heat didn't win the title last year, but in that six you know, injuries and, you know. And sure. Sure, but it, but it, what I'm saying is, in despite not winning it in that six game series against the Lakers in the bubble, Jimmy Butler might have been the single most valuable player in that series, right? Yeah. I mean, because uh, you know he he just with, with with Bam being out and with Goron being out, the Heat could not match the Lakers' firepower and their depth. But Jimmy Butler individually was arguably even better than LeBron or Anthony Davis in that series. So. Yeah, you might be right. He might be outside of LeBron, the best free agent signing in South Florida sports. Yeah, he's, he's been that good. It's just a spectacular target by, by Pat Riley and, you know, Spolstra and all that. that. That, to me, is tremendous. So he's got, what, two years left? Yeah, two so, years and, left. And you just, just uh, you know, I mean, you know, this is a team, Yeah, you know, when, when they started out so slowly, I thought, God, it was last year just an aberration. And then... The, you know, it, it, they just get lucky because teams were in a bubble and, and teams didn't have 
home court advantage in the playoffs. Yes, you played a higher seed like with Milwaukee, but Milwaukee wasn't playing in Milwaukee. Milwaukee was playing in the same bubble that you played in. So home court advantage was, was, was negated. And I thought, geez, it was last year an aberration, but look at how they've come out. As you say, 11 out of 13, and who knows who they're going to add in the next seven days well, you know, when the trade deadline hits. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Can I ask you one selfish question? Sure. Just about the NBA, um, since we're on that topic. My alma mater, Indiana University, um, fired their coach, Archie Miller. Right? They should have. Four years, he didn't do anything. Didn't do squat for that team. Rumors are, and even though he's denied any interest at all, so he's very happy where he is, rumor has it that one of the candidates they may make a real push to get is Brad Stevens. He Ooh. grew up in Indiana. Yeah. He, he played coached at the Paw. He coached at Butler. I think he grew up an IU fan. Uh, he struggled lately with, you know, with Boston. Uh, you know, but it's, it's a tremendous job. You're with a storied franchise. But you think there, I mean, despite his, of course he's going to deny everything. He's, he's mm-hmm. you know, look at, we got right here, Nick Saban. I'm not going to Alabama. I can remember him saying that to us a million times. Yep. And Dave Hyde asked him directly, and he, you know, he got kicked off, you know, at, at all this. Um, I, I'd love to see Brad Stevens, you know, you know, coach, uh, coach IU. I think he's tremendous signing. I, and, and, I, I still I wonder because uh, I, I know that he he's gotten so hyped up during his time in the NBA. It's like people wanted to create this narrative that he's going to be the next Greg Popovich or something. I I don't deny he was a great college coach. I mean, he, he was working miracles at Butler. Um, I, I still wonder, though, if he's really suited for the NBA and, and maybe, you know, you can blame the Celtics for for the disappointments there if you don't want to blame Brad Stevens. But Frito, I think he might be one of those guys who could be coming to the realization that I, I can go to IU and I can be the king and I can win consistently in college basketball. You know, I've, I've had uh, I've had some pretty good Celtics teams and I've had a lot of assets here and we haven't translated it into the type of because the Celtics always seem to be more overhyped than they actually like they always fall short of their expectations every single year. And it makes me wonder, is Brad Stevens really the guy you thought he was going to be? But I think at the collegiate level, he is like, I think at the collegiate level, Brad Stevens can be somebody. And also he's got charisma. He's got a brand name. Um, he's going to recruit so well for IU, I believe, because that, he's that's from already, Indiana. I mean, he, he yeah. knows the state, you know, He's from Indiana. That that's a really established brand in college basketball, and and I, I think you know one element that he can't really accomplish in the NBA is there's no recruiting in the NBA. I think he's a hell of a recruiter, so that that one makes a lot of sense to me. I think he's one of those guys who's better suited for the college game. And he could sit in the living room or go by Zoom and say to a kid, "See that school over there, Butler? That tiny school over there, Butler? I took him to the NCAA finals two years in a row." We came within one shot of beating Duke and, and winning the championship. That tiny school. Guess what? We'll think what I can do with IU. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I, think, that's, uh, I think that's a really good shout out. I, I think that that's something that could, that could end up coming to fruition, no doubt. Hey, something we're going to be doing uh, later on in the show, we're going to bring on a good friend of ours, covers the Miami Dolphins for Sports Illustrated. He also you know, covers the Panthers. He's the NHL.com Florida Panthers correspondent. Alan Pupar is going to join us a little bit later on. You know, the uh, interesting turn of events over the past 36 hours. So we've we've covered extensively on this show. Every outlet has covered 
the Deshaun Watson saga, right? Mm -hmm. He's unhappy in Houston. He wants to be traded. Um, so over the past 36 hours now, Frito, there's a, uh, an attorney, a celebrity attorney in Texas, Tony Busby, who has filed, he says now up to six lawsuits. And I think he's trying to solicit more lawsuits. He's trying to find more people to come forward of um, sexual harassment allegations against Deshaun Watson. And he's been this Busby who's, you know, a celebrity attorney. There, there's even a, a connection where he might be, uh, which looks a little bit suspicious, where he might be friends with, uh, with Cal McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans. But Tony Busby is announcing now all of these sexual misconduct law, lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. Now, uh, you know, obviously, when you talk about something like this, you, you have to be careful in both directions, right? Because I, of course, I have no idea what happened or did not happen in these cases. I, I have no clue. Um, you know, you, you want to be fair to the accused. You also want to be fair to the accusers. Uh, the, the timing of all this, Frito, it seems a little bit suspicious and a little bit convenient. Uh, but these allegations are out there now. And, and again, these are not criminal charges. These are civil lawsuits being filed. If, if there are, and, and most of these, Frito, I think if not all of them, you know, are accusations based on uh, masseuses, like women who have performed massages on Deshaun Watson, where he's you know, he's uh, he's tried to take uh, the massage a little bit too far or what the allegations say. Um, do you think that these allegations now could have a tangible effect on his trade value? Could this sink the trade value for Deshaun Watson? Just before we went on the air, I was watching uh, Get Up on ESPN, you know, Mike Greenberg's show. And he had both Adam Schefter and uh, Mike Tannenbaum on. And think what you will about Mike Tannenbaum. You know, he didn't have a successful run down here, but he is a former GM. And that's the perspective, you know, that we can listen to him. And I'd listen to him, you know, all day because he's been, you know, in that chair and can tell us how front offices look at certain situations. Mm -hmm. Both of them said, uh, they pretty much said the same thing. He's got a stellar reputation. There's nothing in his past, no red flags at all to indicate anything like this um, would be you know, would have happened in the past. And all of a sudden, there are two women that are, you know, accusing him. Of, I believe the, they're accusing him of assault. Yes. Uh, but the two things that, that you know, that, that Schefter and, uh, and Mike Tannenbaum said, one, there's no criminal charges. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, no criminal charges whatsoever. Yeah. And two, they both agree, yeah, teams that are going to, you know, want to trade for Deshaun Watson, and that list is plentiful, I'm sure, um, whether they have the assets to get him, that's another story. But teams that are interested certainly have to look at him. Mike Tannenbaum said in every team, I don't know if people know this, every NFL team has a security department. All right, that, that's a department that, that deals with all legal matters. And, and they, any possible draft pick, they're investigating you know, those guys and doing their due diligence for any red flags, et cetera. Uh, and he said, you'll have to have your security department look into this. But, and, and they're not discounting anything, mm -hmm. but they're saying, look, there is nothing, zero in this guy's past to indicate right. that anything like this has ever happened. And all of a sudden they come out of the blue. So you're looking at it, you know, with a kind of a glance size, like really? So I think there's, there's doubt with them. They're, again, it's got to be looked at. Sure. But I, I, you know, if, if nothing is found by the, by the security departments and the NFL is going to look into it as well. If nothing is found there, I mean, they're still going to get, you know, uh, you know, plenty, plenty of offers for Deshaun Watson. Well, and I don't think it's going to hurt his trade value. 
Yeah, and another piece of commentary I have, and, and, and this is not speaking of the allegations themselves, but just with that lawyer, I have a hard time taking this lawyer seriously, because if you even read the statements that he's been making on social media, like this guy is announcing these lawsuits on Instagram, and he's making it all about himself, and he's making it all about the joy that he has in, in taking down, you know, rich, powerful people. It's like, I, I almost feel like, um, you know, if, if there is any, if there is any credibility whatsoever to these allegations that I almost wish that the women bringing these up had found someone a little bit more serious, right? Because I mean, th th this guy, he's making it all about himself as Tony Busby. And to me, it's like, I don't know, I feel, I feel like if, if you're in a profession and, and I, I, I know some great honest lawyers, I know that there's a stereotype that people have that all oh, lawyers are all, they're sleazy, they're all liars. I mean, what? One of my best friends is an attorney and he's a very serious, honorable guy. And yeah, you also have some some weirdos and some ambulance chasers out there. And I feel like this Busby falls into that later category. So if there is credibility to these allegations, uh, I, I wish these accusers had found a more professional, serious lawyer because this guy is turning it into a sideshow. Well, you know what? The, the Excuse me, the NFL and, and, and teams will find out What's going on? You know, another thing that Schefter and Tanbaum said, besides no red flags, is Deshaun Watson has a stellar reputation around the league. You know, he's just, he's so highly regarded. Uh, he does a lot of charity work and everything like that. So this just, you know, is, I don't know anything about Tony Busby. I never heard of him before. I know I have heard plenty of times Deshaun Watson's defense attorney, a guy named Rusty Harden. Yes. He's defended a lot of high profile people. Uh, Roger Clemens was one he defended. Uh, and he, you know, he, he hired a high profile guy, but I, I've never heard of this Busby guy, but if he's shadowy, if he's an ambulance chaser, that's looking for, for headlines rather than maybe a tangible lawsuit, that'll be found out as well. I just, it just, look, I, I'm not discounting anything that women say, all right, it's gotta be mm -hmm. investigated, but I'm not going to exactly. sit here and assume that this guy is guilty when nothing in his past, nothing you. would have indicated that, that anything like this would have happened. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very, very well said. And, and yeah, in, in a little bit, we'll uh, we'll get Alan Pupar's take on all this. And also, you know, uh, the the free agency is open in the NFL, Frito. We're day two of the new league year. We're technically day four into the free agent frenzy because you had the legal tampering period on Monday and on Tuesday. And one thing that surprised me a little bit is the Miami Dolphins have not been more active in the wide receiver market. Um, I, I was, I was really expecting the dolphins to, you know, give, uh, give a serious look to a guy like Marvin Jones, who they did not land. And he only signed about a, a 5.5 million per year deal. The only receiver that the dolphins have gotten, which is not a high profile one is Robert Foster. You know, I was, uh, you know, we were looking at names like Kenny Galladay, Juju Smith, still out there. Schuster, still out there. T Y Hilton, um Curtis Samuel so yeah I mean the, the one he just thing, the rest not, with Washington oh he did oh I missed that one yeah he I think he played did he play for Carolina yeah he did yeah so he was with Ron Rivera he signed a deal with Washington like okay. uh, yeah he agreed to a deal with Washington I, I didn't see that one I didn't see that one so yeah I mean are, are are you surprised the Dolphins haven't been more active there because one thing is for sure we know that they need more weapons right I mean the front office seems to be very committed into a Tungo Bailoa, even though some of the fans have their doubts about whether he's really a franchise guy, the front office seems committed to him. But if you're committed to him, you need to give him every possible route to success. Uh, are, are they putting now too many eggs in the basket of the NFL draft? Because surely they're going to get weapons in the draft, but should they be doing more in free agency? 
Well, I mean, you look, uh, you know, there have been limited wide receiver signings, not many. You look at that position as a whole, and it's really a depressed market. I think you're seeing agents tell your tell players, you know, you might want to go on a one-year deal. Um, and I remember I, I saw a quote yesterday by uh, Diana Rossini of ESPN saying she just talked to um, uh, a, a, an agent for a player, a wide receiver, all right, who's, who's highly regarded. She, I didn't. You know, obviously she wasn't going to say the name and he told his agent, whatever you do, do not sign me to anything but a one-year deal. Because I think he sees the market. He sees the salary cap going down. And, you know, how many times does it go down? It always goes up. Yeah. I think now that COVID is, is getting a little more under control, you're going to see more people in the stands. It's going to go up next year. And so if you're a player, if you're a wide receiver, sure, you run the risk of having your, your career, you know, uh, ended on any given play. But if you stay healthy, wait one year, you can make a heck of a lot more money. And then so, yeah, I think they're just following what a lot of teams are and not signing. They're, maybe they're going after some, some names, but saying, look, we drew, we're drawing a line in the sand. Here's an offer. Take it or leave it. All right. We're not going to negotiate uh, all that much because th- that's not what the market is. And, and so if you're a player, do you accept what you consider a below value, below market value deal? Or do you make a bet on yourself and your health and say, I'm going to wait 12 months and guess what? Then I could maybe break the bank. Yeah. You know, I, I think you make a good point. I'd, I'd probably approach it that second way. I mean, if I, uh, if I'm, if I'm full of confidence, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a receiver in my prime or hitting my prime in my mid twenties. Yeah. I'm saying, you know what, with the market being what it is, cause, uh, cause the salary cap went down from about 192 million to 182 million when usually it goes up about 10 million every year. So this right. is like a, a net, a net minus of about 20 million, 20 million less than what we're expecting. So you're, you're probably right about that. So if we're still looking at guys out there like Will Fuller or, uh, or Juju Smith Schuster that, yeah, this could end up being a one-year deal. You know, I, and I don't think I directly answered your question. I, are they putting too much stock in the draft? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Another thing besides maybe holding the line. And I don't know if the dolphins have done that. I'm just, you know, giving you a theory of what, what I consider, you know, what may be happening behind the scenes. But suppose the Dolphins aren't being super aggressive. If they come to a deal with a receiver, all right, fine, they will. That's great. But maybe this is an indication that they are going to go receiver at number three and get, mm-hmm. you know, a Devontae Smith, a Jamar Chase, somebody like that who they consider, yes, a first-year player, but some guy who could be a star really, really quickly in this league. And therefore, they're going to go that way and maybe – uh, you know, with 18, go go you know, more offensive line or defense, whatever the case may be. But I don't know. Is this a possible indication that they're going to go wide receiver at number three because they haven't been super aggressive at wide receiver in free agency? I'll ask you the question. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's got to be. Um, you know, the, the only thing that makes me uh, scratch my head about the first two rounds is you've got a, a much bigger need at pass rusher. Now, I don't I don't see them taking a pass rusher at number three. Uh, but maybe that maybe that could be in the cards now at number 18, because I, I look at uh, they, they've made no key additions at pass rusher. And yet they have lost Shaq Lawson, who they traded to get uh, Bernardrick McKinney, who's a middle linebacker. So you, you shore up the middle linebacker need. You also lost Kyle Van Noy, who was uh, who was rushing off the edge. So the Dolphins we went back to New England. Yep. Yeah. yeah, which is weird. like. It's it's weird this weird like relate this incestuous relationship the Dolphins and the Patriots have where they just keep 
signing players from one another. It's it's very strange. <laughs> so, you know, listen, I, I think that uh, if you keep the third pick or even if you trade down, like let's say you trade down with Carolina at number eight, I think either way you've got to draft a wide receiver. Like maybe at number three, you get Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith. At number eight, you might be able to get Jalen Waddell, who I think is a hell of a player if he's available at number eight. I think that's got to be the go-to uh, at the top of the draft. It's got to be. Um, and, you know, I, I think the Dolphins have less of a need uh, for Penay Suell. Uh, you know, people have tried to tell me there's no direct correlation here, but I still think the acquisition of, of Isaiah Wilson, if I'm optimistic enough to think that he could kind of find, you know, a second wind in his career in Miami, then that may, you know, you're going to have enough options at, at left and right tackle that I don't think you need to go out and get Penay Suell at number three. Are the, are, the, are the Bengals at number four? Are they right behind, right beside, right behind Miami? Uh, I believe so. Let me, let me double check the draft order because um, Atlanta's also in that mix as well. Hold on. I think Atlanta's five or six. Five, I think. Yeah. Hold on. NFL draft order 2021. I want to make sure I have that correct right in front of me. Let's see. Tankathon.com. Um. No, it's Atlanta is right behind Miami. Atlanta's number four, Cincinnati's number five. Okay. Then I don't think Suell is going to last beyond number five. I really, if he's there, then they're going to take him and that, you know, he's going to guard Joe Burrow's, Burrow's blind side for years to come. So if you're a team that wants him, you're going to have to trade up to get him. I don't think Atlanta is going to go that way. I think they're probably going to go quarterback, you know, um, mm. uh, I, and, and, and have the successor to Matt Ryan. So, you know, if, if a team wanted Suell that badly, they'd trade up to get him and maybe offer the Dolphins, you know, a heck of a lot to get that number three pick. But other than that, I, I see them. And, and I don't – here's another theory that what the Dolphins could do. And this guy's so highly regarded. He's a, he's, a, he's a huge draft pick. But they don't need that big a need at tight end. But Kyle Pitts is a guy who many say could be one of the best – I won't use the term wide receiver as tight end, but one of the best pass catchers in the NFL so and very, good. very quickly – but that said, I think you need a guy on the outside. You need a Chase. You need a Smith. I, I, I think one of those guys, barring um, an offer that the Dolphins can't refuse, you notice how we will try to work in a Godfather reference. Of course. Uh, all the time. But other than that, I think one of those guys is wearing a, a, a Dolphins uniform next season. One of those two guys. That's well said. So, hey, w when we come back, we're going to bring in Alan Pupar, who covers the Miami Dolphins for Sports Illustrated. Uh, he also covers the Florida Panthers. He's the NHL.com Florida Panthers correspondent. And he might have, and I, we both think the world of him, the worst nickname for anybody, Poop. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to join us on the other side. You're listening to the Dono and Frito Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Welcome back into the Dono and Frito Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Happy to welcome in a good friend of ours. This man puts in the work covering the Miami Dolphins for Sports Illustrated. Uh, also, he's the NHL.com Florida Panthers correspondent, uh, so he keeps his love for hockey very much alive as well. Alan Pupar joins us. Alan, how you been, man? How's everything going? Can't complain. I've been very well. You guys? Oh, very, very well. And I love how uh, he, he's, we, we've got him on the video chat here and he's wearing the Expos hat. Uh, so I, I, I love, love to see that, my friend. You're always representing. Always till the day I die. <laughs> I love that. So let's get started on, uh, on the Miami Dolphins. Actually, you know what, before we get to the Dolphins, I, I want to ask you, and I know that this story may or may not 
you know, correlate to the Dolphins. I know a lot of Dolphin fans would like this man to be traded to Miami. He's not even on the trading block right now. But uh, think, things have gotten uh, very, very busy uh, in the offseason here for Deshaun Watson. You know, not only have we been discussing his unhappiness in Houston and his his trade demand, which so far Houston are not answering any calls. And then, Alan, over the past 36 hours, uh, we have this uh, this law, this these lawsuits, this lawyer in Texas, Tony Busby, as uh, he says now he's got uh, six accusers filing uh, sexual assault allegations against Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to uh, to bring it to you know, the sporting angle here, but how do you think that this may or may not affect his trade value? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's one of those things where you get any team that's going to try to make a push for Watson is going to hate having that, that situation hanging over. Uh, and it's really, it's actually, it's hard to tell the way how, how it could affect, how it could impact the, the, the price that teams are willing to pay to try to land Watson because you have that hanging over there. And at some point does the NFL get involved in an investigation itself? Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of a cloud that teams who, who will make a push for Watson if and when the Texans decide they put him on the market will have to consider and deal with. I just heard Mike Tannenbaum and, and Adam Shepard speak on, uh, on ESPN. And Tannenbaum, they both said the same thing. Uh, Tannenbaum added a couple of things. One, he's got a stellar reputation around the league. Now, these certainly have to be investigated, but nothing in his past. There are no red flags, nothing to indicate this type of behavior uh, at all. And thus far, only there have been two civil lawsuits filed, filed against him. Uh, two, um, you know, yes, this will have to be investigated. But, uh, you know, uh, again, there's, they, don't, they just don't see how, you know, the, the timing seems odd and everything like that. You know, he, he's done so well around the league that it just seems weird. And no criminal charges have been filed as well, Alan. There's no criminal charges whatsoever. These are civil lawsuits. Correct. No, no. It, yeah, it's it, it does kind of smell a little bit, uh, for lack of a better metaphor or, or better term. But unfortunately, it's still out there and it's still a factor. And again, like you, you're absolutely right. This is a guy who's like a got an impeccable reputation. Uh, but the allegations now that have been put forth public publicly are are kind of nasty. Um, Look, I, I'm not certainly. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say. No, I was going to say that. Just because a lawyer is alleging these things doesn't mean it happened. There's a, we obviously there's you know innocent until proven guilty, but what you, you're going to be talking about whoever trades for Deshaun Watson is going to be giving up a whole lot of assets. And just having that out there is less than ideal. And I'm not saying anything's going to come of it. It's just less than ideal. Well, so, you know, Tannenbaum said NFL security departments are certainly have to, you know, uh, look at this. But apparently this guy, Busby, before he filed these lawsuits, tried to, you know, get six-figure settlements and watched them turn them down. Said, no, fine. You, uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to settle behind the scenes and, and brush this thing there where nobody finds out about this. I want to defend myself. And to me, that says a lot. Oh, no question. And, and I'm, I, I, again, I, I, obviously, I, I, I don't know what went down, but uh, – I'm in no way, shape, or form. If it, again, as a as a dolphin writer, I'm still all about let's go get him. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and and you know what that 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 was going to be my next question, and I uh, and you know what I I would assume that's still the attitude of the teams that are interested, and I know one of the teams reportedly very interested are the Carolina Panthers. Now Carolina, Allen, if, if reports are to be believed, they are willing to give up a ton. Now they don't have the capability of giving up as much as say the Dolphins or the Jets because they don't have multiple first round picks. Uh, so they would only be able to give up one first round pick per year for the next uh, three years. Uh, so you, could, could you expect Carolina maybe to be the team that gets it done? And if not, Carolina could be a team that acquires the Dolphins third overall pick. So I think I would prefer that scenario to be able to do a trade down. But do you think at the end of the day, Carolina will be most aggressive for Watson? Yeah, that's a, that's a scuttlebutt. And, and the owner, David Tepper, has a reputation as being a guy who basically gets what he wants and will do whatever he needs to do to get it done. Uh, like you mentioned, they don't have the, the draft capital that the Dolphins or the New York Jets, uh, it should be mentioned, have. There's ways around that. Uh, from the Houston standpoint, would they be okay? For If Carolina goes, for example, David Tepper, I have to have Deshaun Watson. Uh, obviously, he's got the Carolina connection, having played at Clemson, uh, North and South Carolina, but still the Carolinas. If he goes, you know what, he, Miami and the Jets can give you three premium draft picks. Now, I'll, how about I'll give you five? You may have to wait a little longer, but it'll be five. It'll set you up for even longer in the future. Is that the extent to which David Tepper is willing to go to get the Sean Watson? And is that something that Houston would prefer as opposed to getting the immediate impact of more premium picks right now? Because uh, the truth is, let's be honest, even if they get – Two or two two at the, the Dolphins two ones and even even the Dolphins two twos if you want to go that far, Houston still not making the playoffs in 2021. Oh. So maybe maybe they'll be looking long term, and how about we set ourselves up for with first round picks for the next five years, uh, to do like a full massive rebuild and will the Carolina have the Sean Watson? So that that would be one angle that Carolina could could work. Frito, I think you're muted. Sorry, I, he's such an anomaly. How many times do you see a 25-year-old Pro Bowl quarterback who at 25 probably hasn't even reached his prime be possibly out there on the market? You just, I mean, this is a once-in-a-decade or two-decade situation. You just never – I'm trying to remember the last time never. I saw a guy this young, this good, out there on the market. I, I can't. And you should, you've probably done the research, Alan. And I have. Funny you should <laughs> mention that. Um, <laughs> You, you know who's the closest equivalent? And we're going to throw out a great Dolphin name here. Jay Cutler. Oh, wow. After he oh, had yeah. a couple of good years. Denver. And I, I, see, I see Frito laughing. But hey, he had a couple of very good years in Denver early on. He looked like a promising guy who was going to be a star. But then that's when they brought in Josh McDaniels. There was some friction from the start with Cutler. Cutler says, I'm out. And they traded him, and, he, and if, you, if you remember what they got, I believe it was two first-round picks, Kyle Orton, and maybe a third hmm. for Jake Cutler. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and who's no Deshaun Watson. No. So, <laughs> but that's the only precedent because, again, 25-year-old franchise quarterbacks just don't become available. This is yeah. such a unique, crazy situation. This is why all logic – has to disappear. Even like even marquee players, forget quarterbacks. Another equivalent in terms of like marquee talent at a young age was Eric Dickerson. 
mm-hmm. when he went from the, was it the Rams to the Colts in the three-way trade, and there was an awful lot of draft capital switching teams that year too. So it it's going to be costly. And again, yeah, you, you mentioned Frito. It just never happens that you get a that you have the chance to get that kind of quarterback that young, which is why practically every team in the NFL, other than let's say Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Chargers and Bengals, I would throw might be the four teams who wouldn't even consider it. You know, I make fun of this guy almost all the time. I never grew up a Bears fan, even though in Chicago. But here's Ryan Pace. He passed on Deshaun Watson. He passed on Patrick Mahomes. He traded up one spot to get Mitchell Trubisky, who's now going to be gone. So what does he do? He signs Andy Dalton. I mean, you talk about all the horrible decisions this guy's made, and he still has a job. I, I, I don't understand why. No, and it's it's amazing. Dolphin fans think they've had issues getting a quarterback. <laughs> same same with the Bears. I mean, yeah. yeah, the 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 Mitchell Trubisky incident alone should have been, I, I mean, cause for an immediate firing. I mean, holy smokes, that was bad. I can remember where I was when I heard that trade, and I said, they did what? They traded up from three to two to get to get a guy that started thirteen college games. That's it? Are you kidding me? Yeah, who was who was like looked like a good athlete and nothing nothing yeah. special. Yeah, I also I remember I'm not a Bears fan. I also remember having the exact same reaction you did. You yeah, know, no, Donna and I were talking about the Dolphins and the fact that they haven't really been aggressive in signing a free agent wide receiver, but many teams haven't. I think poop that this is a very depressed wide receiver market. I think a lot of players might have to go on a one year show deal, if you will, because the you know the salary cap you know, took a U-turn and went down. And I think a lot of players want to wait for it to go up. And maybe the Dolphins have drawn a line in the sand with a, an offer or two. But does this indicate, in your, one, are you surprised they have been more aggressive, but a lot of teams haven't. And two, if they're holding the line and aren't going to go any further between now and the end of April, is this an indication that maybe if they hold on to that pick, that it's going to be a wide receiver, maybe a Chase or a Smith is going to wear a Dolphins uniform with that number three pick? Well, here's the thing, and, and I, I wrote about this a while back. Look at the Dolphins wide receiver core, even at this time last year, and the Dolphins did nothing in free agency at wide receiver last year either. They did nothing in the draft either because they were satisfied with what they had, which was Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Jakeem Grant, Alan, Albert Wilson. Uh, Alan Hearns. Alan Hearns, yeah. And then what, what happened is you had Wilson and Hearns opt out. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a big thing on your depth. Grant starts having receive, uh, issues with catching the ball. Preston Williams gets knocked out for the season, and Devontae Parker goes back to being uh, injury-riddled <laughs> Devontae Parker. So my, my whole point was I understand that the Dolphins absolutely could use a bona fide number one wide receiver because I think the time has come probably to realize that you can't depend on Devontae Parker because he's had one year out of six where he's managed to stay healthy. That having been said, are we going to go crazy over somebody like, for example, Juju Smith-Schuster, the who averaged the what? He, he's a better TikToker than receiver. Average eight point eight yards last year, and and yeah, when he had Antonio Brown, when he had peak Antonio Brown on the opposite side, he was he was like producing big time, but maybe not so much last year. Are you going to go nuts with Kenny Galladay, who, by the way, what's Kenny Galladay? Tall receiver. Not necessarily all that fast. Really good at making contested catches. Does that sound like Devontae Parker and Preston Williams? Yep. Uh, so you're going to throw 14, 15 million a year at the guy? I, 
I, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm, I'm perfectly cool. For me, it was like, get a speed guy, which is, which is what this receiving core is lacking without spending crazy money. That's why I like when John Brown was released by the, by the Buffalo Bills in a salary cap move, I was like, sign this guy. Perfect. And not only that, he played at Homestead High School. Uh, actually, turns out wound up wound up going. I believe it was to the Raiders. To the Raiders no. yesterday, I believe, on a two-year deal. Yeah, yeah, You're right. Yeah. To me, he would have been a good guy. Will Fuller's another great guy, like but him. you can't throw big he's money hurt. at him because he's yeah. always hurt. He's always hurt. Yeah, but if true. you can get him on the cheap, dude can fly, and he brings you something that your wide receiver court doesn't have. And second part of the question: We mentioned wide receiver. You mentioned Jamar Chase. I'm of the opinion the Dolphins absolutely positively should trade down from three few spots back, pick up a premium pick. Ideally, they stay within the top 10. And at that point, you take whoever's left of Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. If you're going to stay at three, I'd rather have Kyle Pitts than one of the wide receivers because oh, I think there's more value. I wanted to ask you about that, Alan. We, we, I, I, I thought I, I, we talked about that. Yeah, perfect segue. So, like, like Alan, I, I hear some some Dolphin fans saying, "Oh no, no, we don't need Pitts. We have Mike Gesicki." But to me, it's like when you have a player that special, uh, you know, I think BPA comes into play there. And and first of all, I I, I think I, I think Pitts, uh, he's he's basically a hybrid receiver tight end. Like you can line him up a bunch of different spots on the field, and also. Uh, you know, you, you saw what the Patriots had and what they're trying to rebuild now with tight ends. But you saw what they had with with Gronk and and uh, and the serial killer uh, Aaron Hernandez back in the day. That worked out pretty well for their offense. I mean, honestly, the, the Dolphins could do a lot worse than Kyle Pitts. Oh, no question. And yeah, you have to think outside the box and then stop going like number one. Yeah, number one, you can't take a tight end at number three. Well, like you mentioned, Kyle Pitts is not really like a tight end. He's he's a hybrid kind of player. And then number two, well, you can't draft a tight end because you already have Mike Gesicki. Well, again, Mike Gesicki is a nice tight end. Mike Gesicki doesn't have the potential of Kyle Pitts. And as I mentioned to somebody who was like complaining to me about taking a tight end at three, that's just not done. And it's never been done. And my reply was basically when Kyle Pitts starts making the Pro Bowl year after year after year, you won't care that you picked him at number three. <laughs> you know, I, I've read about experts who have said that he could be very quickly – and I won't use the term even tight end. One of the best pass catchers in the league extremely quickly. I mean, he's that good. He's that much of a difference maker. Look, look at Darren Waller, who mm-hmm. kind of have similar physical characteristics. Mm-hmm. And Dolphin defense had kind of a hard time with him when they kind played of, yeah. last, uh, <laughs> last December. Yeah, kind of, sort of. That, that's the kind of guy you're dealing with. So, yeah, to me – I would much rather, if they stay at three, much rather see Kyle Pitts than any of the wide receivers or the, or Sewell from Oregon or Rashawn Slater from Northwestern because there are some scouts who actually like him better than Sewell at, at three. So another position, so he, I wanted to, another position I wanted to ask you about, Alan, is, uh, is pass rusher because uh, the, the Dolphins have made uh, subtractions in that area and they, they're yet to make an addition at pass rusher so did do you think there could be something in store for free agency and does this magnify the need to get a pass rusher with one of their early picks in the draft now yeah no question that to me right now has to has become the number one or number two need uh alongside center now that ted Karras has gone back to new england yeah the thing is they had emmanuel agba had a huge year last year 
Uh, mm -hmm. But he needs help on the other side. And let's not forget, uh, and this is no knock on Agba, I'm just pointing out stats that he had one sack in the last seven games. Uh, and this is a guy who last year, the nine sacks was a career high. This previous career high was five and a half sacks. So to automatically assume that he's going to put up those kinds of numbers again is dangerous. So yeah, absolutely. They need a, a pass rusher. If they were going to spend heavy in free agency for me, that was a place to do it. Not wide receiver, not running back, not even center. Cause unless you get a complete stud at that position, that guy, the impact is less significant than which you get a stud pass rusher and a lot of them have fallen by the wayside now and trying to trying to remember who's left uh, slim pickens now hassan reddick would have been an interesting possibility in it but he got swiped up yesterday now i think the, the names on left on the market melvin ingram once was a really really good pass rusher but last year he had exactly zero sacks uh, that's not good uh, I know Jadavion Clowney has been mentioned, but Jadavion Clowney is more of an all-around edge defender than he is a pure pass rusher, even though he did have nine sacks back-to-back uh, -back seasons with Houston. And yet then again, at that point, you have to factor in how much did he benefit from having J.J. Watt on the other side. Yeah, really, really well said. We're joined here by Alan Pupar from Sports Illustrated here uh, on the Dono and Frito show on Sirius XM Slam Radio. Uh, so I want to close off a couple of dolphin things. And then I want to ask you a couple of Florida Panthers questions. Um, your thoughts on the overall approach in free agency, because there certainly is a little bit of FOMO fear of missing out happening among dolphin fans, especially when you see, you know, the, the Patriots spending money on every player with a pulse that they find available. They're signing everybody. Uh, so, but, but this, this to take a step back, this is what Chris Greer told us to expect, right? A, a pretty measured, uh, quiet approach, a bargain hunting approach to free agency. So do you feel like the first year, I mean, we're in second day of the league year, fourth day, if you include the league tampering period, are things going as to plan so far? They're going as to their plan, not going as to the fans' plans. I can assure you, yeah. fans, here's the thing. Fans want the splashy free agent signings, the big names. And then they complain about having spent too much. So it's really hard. It's a good point. From a, Dol yeah, from a Dolphin standpoint, though, my only concern is I always look at the players who are, who are going out and the players who are coming in. Are you getting better? Like, for example, the Devon Gotcha adam Butler swap, from where I sit, that's a gain. And on top of that, you got Adam Butler. I think the, the max value for his two years is 9.25. The max value for Gotcha is $16 million. Well, first of all, there, if you want to argue Gotcha is, is better than Adam Butler, okay, I don't agree. I think Butler actually is a better player. But there's no way in hell Gotcha is $6.75 million better than, than Adam Butler. So that's good. My concern is, by itself, I don't have a huge issue with letting Kyle Van Noy go. It, it is kind of odd that you let him go one year after signing him to a big four-year deal. I, it's not a huge deal to me that they, they traded Shaq Lawson because I thought his impact was pretty minimal last year. But what are you replacing them with? Like the six guys they've signed so far, they're pretty much, they're all like backup complimentary guys with the possible exception of Justin Coleman from what I'm, I'm hearing from Detroit. If the Dolphins play him in the slide, he actually could challenge for a starting spot there. But I was told 
if they line him up outside boundary cornerback, uh, hold your breath because it's not pretty. What does it so, say about the door? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Now, well, I was going to say that it's still, but it's still very early at this point, though. I'm concerned that they're like that more of the town flows out than it's come in. And if they, if they find a way to deal and find a pass rusher somewhere and a center, then, then that's cool. I'm okay with not signing the huge name. Watson came last year from Buffalo, right? He was, he was playing there. What does it Correct. say? One year after they signed Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, Jordan Howard, that all three suddenly are there. What does it say about the due diligence that these guys don't even last beyond one season for the Dolphins? And, and you know, I mean, to me, that's, I'm not saying an enormous red flag, but I, I would question my judgment if, if those, you know, Dolphins tenures are such short, so short-lived. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, it doesn't look very good. I will say this. Uh, the Jordan Howard was baffling because uh, he had been productive every year. He had been in the NFL, either with the Bears or the Eagles, always four yards per carry or more. And then here is, is like his first game. It's eight carries, five yards. And for some reason, I don't know if, if it was a bad scheme fit. He didn't all of a sudden forget how to run the ball. So if he was a bad scheme fit because his style of running didn't mesh with what the Dolphins were running in the running game, then that's something that should have been more thoroughly investigated before you signed him. In the case of Lawson, you signed basically a guy who was a fit for a four as a four, three DN and you have him play edge defender in a three, four. That, that signing was odd to me from the beginning and they gave him three years for 30 million. I never understood that, that signing at all because of the fit. For Van Noy, look at his stats from last year compared to the year before in New England. They're practically identical. Basically, it was a case of either the Dolphins expected him to become more with their defense than he had been in New England, maybe because he'd have a bigger role and more PT, or they realized one year after the fact, well, yeah, maybe we gave him too much money. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, you slice it, those are not exactly uh, highlights that you would put on your resume. So uh, I wanted to segue uh, to the Florida Panthers before we let you go. You do a great job covering the cats as well for NHL.com. And, you know, my, my expectation, Alan, or at least my hope before the season began, and there were a lot of changes, you know, a new general manager and Bill Zito, a lot of roster turnover for these Panthers. And my expectation was, or my hope was, just get into the playoffs, just make the playoffs. And now we're officially at the midway point of the season, a shortened season, uh, 28 games into a 56-game season, and the Panthers have, you know, they're tied with three other teams for the highest point total in the National Hockey League with a 19-5-4 record, sitting atop the NHL with 42 points. So my question to you is, uh, with my hope prior to the season started uh, being just, just get into the playoffs, should I now be setting the bar a little bit higher? Should I now be talking about, hey, win that division, which is a very tough one, with Tampa and Carolina also playing great hockey. Can I get a little bit greedier with my expectations? Absolutely. Stanley Cup, baby. Let's get, let's get, let's get totally greedy. No, I, hey, here's the thing is every, every, if this happens, they'll be good. If this happens, they'll be good. Every possible scenario like that has materialized so far. And this is what you, the result you get. One of them was, Bob has to bounce back after last year because he wasn't the Bobrovsky they signed. Well, guess what? What's it been now? Three weeks, two weeks, he's been, damn, he's been good. 
Barkey was did not look physically right at all over last year. You need Barkey to be back to being Barkey. Guess what? If he's not in the top three right now for MVP conversation, people aren't watching the NHL. Uh, you need, what about, Horn, Horn, you signed Hornquist. Let's see yep. if he can help the power play. Has he helped the power play? Holy smokes. Uh, <laughs> Radko Gudas, did you sign him? Well, let's get an element of toughness in the back end. Has he brought that? He has brought that and then some, and not only on top of that, he's playing great. So everything that's, and then you need, Ekblad's got to take a step up. Ekblad's right now is getting mentioned in the Norris conversation. So can this continue the, for the entire season? Who's to say it can't? And if it does, then absolutely they can challenge uh, Tampa Bay and Carolina, who you and I spoke just about two weeks ago. To, to me at that point, still, I, I felt were better teams and, and sure, safer bets than the Panthers. But the Panthers just haven't slowed down and everything just keeps yeah. going and going and going. So who knows? And, and I'm, I'm buying I'm buying what they're selling. I'm, I'm completely in. And I want to make that clear because I, I also wanted to ask you, like, did, and, and it's gotten to a point where when, when they're down 2 nothing in a game, when they're down two goals in the third period, I don't really sweat it because I'm thinking there's a comeback coming. But um, I, I don't know if statistically it's, it's sustainable. So they're, they're going to need to start being a bit more of a front runner, right? I mean, I don't know if they equal you – know, I don't know if they get another 42 points in the second half of the season, but it, it would be nice to see them score the opening goal sometimes and to have a 2 nothing lead instead of the two nothing deficit. No, no question, especially here's the thing when you get to the playoffs. Yeah. Th th that game gets a lot tighter and those goals are a lot harder to come by and you fall behind in the playoffs and that becomes an issue, especially if you play a team like the Islanders who thank goodness the Dolphins, I mean the Dolphins, sorry. Thank mm -hmm. goodness the Panthers won't have to see them un unless they get to the final or, or until they, unless they get out of the division but they're a perfect example of what playoff hockey looks like. And then the Islanders actually do it throughout the course of the season. It's really, really tight. You fall behind, you're in trouble. And this is absolutely an area where the Panthers are going to have to like shore it up a little bit. We can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, everyone, you want to make sure you follow Alan at, uh, well, I'm sorry. I, why don't you say your Twitter handle? Cause I don't have it open. I don't want to screw it up. So the floor is yours. That, that, that's very kind of you. It's <laughs> at Pupar. My last name, which is P-O-U-P-A-R-T. So it's at Pupar NFL. I love it. So great, great stuff. And, uh, and of course, uh, huge thanks to Frito. You can follow Fr Frito, your Twitter handle, because again, I don't want to screw any of these up. I can tell you I'm at Alex Dono. Frito, where do people find you? I'm at, I'm at Pupar Al. No, I'm uh, Frito <laughs> Josh. F-R-I-E-D-O Josh. Oh, uh, so huge thanks, of course, to the Amigo and to Frank the Tank for, for giving us the platform and to everyone listening on Sirius XM. We'll talk to you guys again next time on another episode of the Dono and Frito show here on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio.